Hello, and welcome to Spellcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and this is my co-host, Andriel. Greetings, friends. I'm glad to say that as Sawin approaches for this episode, we will be talking about demons, demonology, uh, folk legends, and spirits. Yes, and even a few cryptids thrown in. Uh, it feels like it's been a while since we've recorded. Uh, we appreciate everyone hanging in there. We've had a few things going on, uh, what with our business, um, some family uh, and friend emergencies, things like that. Uh, but we're happy to be back, and thank you all for, like I said, hanging in there. You're going to get two episodes this week, so that's a little bonus. Plus, uh, all of our Patreon and Anchor supporters are going to be having a special Halloween episode. So Wonderful. So, uh, shall we get started then? Yes, we should get right into our spooky story. So we're going to go back and forth. Um, I'm going to go over uh, a spooky legend from New York and also a cryptid. And then Andrael's going to cover a few more spooky demons and such. So if you'd like to start us off with your first story. Wonderful. So, uh, the first entity that I'm going to dive into is an old Slavic folk legend um, based off of a particular spirit that has existed in many of folklore. This particular entity is called a Leshy. For those of you who have read or have taken part uh, in the video game of The Witcher, in the Witcher series, they make reference to this, and they spun it off and called it a Leshen. A Leshy is essentially a tutelary deity, or a tutelary spirit. And tutelary essentially means that it's an entity that's bound to a particular area. And once you escape that particular area, it cannot do anything to harm you. Um, but it is very strong in its particular domain and should be trifled with. Should not be trifled with? Should not be trifled with. <laughs> what, whatever. <laughs> um, now, this particular entity... Now, though uh, Leshy sounds like uh, something that's cute and cuddly... Mm. Um, uh, really depends on the mood that it's in, the shape that the forest uh, that it lives in is in. Um, so how... it's like a nature spirit? Yes, incredibly. It's essentially, you know, a leshy can be depicted as something that's good or evil, um, mm. depending on how its particular domain is treated. So if people are doing bad things there, or if you know people are looking for trouble, um, you might get murdered by uh, a what is usually depicted as a old forest-dwelling man, a tall forest-dwelling man with green skin, a long beard, and different uh, pieces of greenery either growing on him or being worn by him. Um, wow, so he's kind of like connected, I would say. Um, it makes a lot of sense then, like the legend would come from how people treat nature. Yes, incredibly. Which, truth be told, I mean, if you know, if I had to be any sort of entity like that, I'd love to be something that uh, that was in a particular area that mm. commanded respect and drew energy from the land. You hear a lot of uh, legends like that. That's why these things can't follow you directly into your town. Um, <laughs> well, I'm glad I can't follow you around, at least. Um, Leshy is usually uh, depicted as uh, masculine, though I don't know if many people were able to get close enough to see if a, if a bearded <laughs> female Leshy was uh, uh, part of the legend. Um, usually these creatures uh, can be uh, 
pretty stoic for the most part. They're not known for saying anything. Uh, sometimes they're depicted as deities of the forest. Sometimes they're uh, either just spirits or even considered fairies. So one mm. can can say that maybe they pay homage to the Earl King or the Earl König, uh, which I will reference at a different point in time. As a vocal performer, I actually sing a song called the Earl König, which was taken from uh, the poetry of uh, Wolfgang von Goethe and uh, set to music by the late classical composer uh, Schubert. So, There's your music history lesson. <laughs> yes. Inside our podcast. So, uh, Leshies are usually accompanied by packs of wolves, bears. They are usually able to call on the forest in what seems like a trance-like uh, sort of energy that is imposed upon the spirits of the forest when they come to defend something. Usually, Leshies are only uh, defensive against things that are that are some sort of value to them or have had some sort of value casted on them. Uh, they are relics. Uh, well, re- relic. R- relict. Relict. Not relics, but relics <laughs> with a T at the end, which usually implies a, a primal being of antiquity mm. that goes um, to an X amount of years. Um they uh, are they are known to lead travelers astray, abduct children. Uh, sometimes they are known to either eat or transform uh, people, you know, humans into whatever it is they want. Um, sometimes they will lead you to another friend of theirs, which uh, is another legend that's also referenced by the Witcher, which is called a chort. A chort is essentially chort. this... Uh, usually in depictions they're depicted as essentially a, a giant weird alpine goat with hands in the front and hoofs in the back interesting yes they're you though chorts are usually considered quite violent though oh yeah no thanks they are not as uh as forthcoming as a as a leshy which are usually depicted as being down the middle they are very temperamental if you make offerings to them however they are more than uh they are more than happy to uh, be nice or at the very least give you a wide berth and not mess with you, maybe protect you in the forest. There are many different spin-offs of this uh, legend uh, that are said to be the same thing in the uh, Slavic and Russian area. Uh, Borovoy, uh, which essentially means he of the forest. Geovoy uh, means he of the grove. Leshak, uh, which is also Russian. Um, the Leshy, which is, again, more Slavic, so we think of the Slavic, you know, the Slav area, the Polish area. Um, Lesovoy. Oh, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing any of these. Uh, as, uh, of the many languages I know, Russian is definitely, uh, uh, lower on the list of, um, what it is I know pronunciation-wise. <laughs> Leshun, which, you know, you think Leshun, going back to the Witcher series. Um... And many others. Uh, he himself. Uh, Lespravedni. Uh, righteous one of the forest. Which hmm. That depiction usually implies that this entity is a protector or a guardian. Uh, yeah. so I think one could even argue that uh, this entity is even quite like an elemental, and like an elemental guardian that oh. might have been summoned or bound to an area. You um, know, it's funny you say that he is um, like a protector of the forest. Uh, I was listening to 
the I Want to Believe podcast, and they talked about a Belizean uh, guardian of the forest as well, but he was a little more, like, elf-like and kind of, like, funny. Like, you know, he was, like, a little, like, trickster, like, leprechaun. So it's interesting that different cultures have different protectors of the forest, and I feel like the area that they're in kind of dictates, like, the personalities. Because this little guy had, like, backwards feet and no thumbs. So basically, if you come up to him, you have to hide your thumbs or he gets jealous and steals yours. So, like, it's a little ridiculous. Um, But, and this one seems to be more serious, more stoic, more like the, uh, like a Slavic culture. And, you know, whereas in those forests, they seem a little bit, like I said, like more serious. So I feel like it's kind of indicative of the place that they are formed. All the more reason to go and check out the forest of Poland. Oh, at some yes, point, it has to be me. a place we go, especially because we're going to the Witcher camp. Um, that's happening. Oh, yes, that's <laughs> definitely happening. Uh, one day when there's money. I know. Um, but yes, uh, that concludes uh, my first uh, entity in folklore. Nice. Yeah. Oh, and since I am so terribly behind on show notes, I'm definitely going to start maybe now and hopefully backtrack at some point. But uh, I'll be I'll be a better person and uh, definitely get some of these out because you guys are going to want to see the pictures of all the different like cryptids and cool stuff that we have. Um, especially, you know, if you've never heard of them before, uh, if you want to like write into us and let us know what you thought about them. Uh, let us know if you have heard of them. If you have any stories yourself, we can always do future episodes with more I mean, there's always more like demons and ghosts and entities and things like that that we can talk about. So if there's any you want us to talk about on the show, definitely email us Um, and then I will do mine. So I'm doing a local cryptid, which is the coolest thing to say because I always hear people talk about cryptids and, you know, uh, a lot of them are in the Pacific Northwest or, um, you know, there's always like Bigfoot, Chupacabras, uh, Nessie, but we have a few that are uh, native to Long Island and one, um, well, native to New York mostly, but the most famous one, I think, on Long Island is the Montauk Monster. So I don't know if everyone's heard of the Montauk Monster. I know it went pretty viral for a while, but the Montauk Monster came about in 2008, a year before I graduated high school, so it's been a long time. Um, but now, this creature and cryptid is super interesting. Um, it it looks really weird. I'm going to show you a picture. Uh, it kind of looks like um, a naked dog bird griffin thing. I don't know. It's like really odd. Um, it has no fur or anything. It's just skin. The back feet kind of look like paws. The front feet kind of look like distorted paws with like longer fingers. And the front almost looks like a beak. Now, um, it's... It's a really odd being. Now, uh, where they found it is near Plum Island. And Plum Island is a local um, island that has a, uh, like, it's known for having, like, government experiments and military experiments, things like that. People still work there. It's active um, as a, almost like a Brookhaven lab sort of place. But... Be advised, you cannot take boats out there. They will yeah. literally shoot at you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's 110% top secret. You're not allowed near Plum Island, which is, like, crazy that we have a place like that. I feel like you shouldn't trust a government that does that, but, <laughs> hey, well, whatever. It's all governments. Um, so the Montauk monster is an animal carcass that um, skeptics think is a raccoon. 
that washed ashore uh, on a beach near the business district in Montauk. Montauk is the end of Long Island, the far, farthest east you can go. Now, depending on who you ask depends on the identity of this creature. Uh, a lot of people, you know, say that, again, it's a raccoon. There's a logical explanation for it. Or some people think is an experiment from Plum, Plum Island gone horribly wrong. Because nobody really knows what goes on at Plum Island. So there's a little bit of conspiracy also. Now, uh, in July, so July 23rd, 2008, is when an article appeared in the newspaper The Independent. Jenna Hewitt, 26, of Montauk, and three of her friends said that they found the creature on July 12th at Ditch Plains Beach, two miles east of the district. The beach is a popular surfing spot at Rheinstein Estate Park, owned by town, the town of East Hampton. Uh, now, the girls said that they were looking and saw, like, they were walking on the beach, and they looked and they saw a lot of people, like, hovered around something. They didn't know what it was, but they had joked that it came from Plum Island. Now, she took a photograph, um, even though the one that ran in the paper was black and white, maybe to make it look a little spookier, I don't know. Um, but, uh... They, let's see, so they had it labeled as the Hound of Bonnockville, so it's kind of a take on Bonnockers, uh, which refers to the natives of East Hampton and the Hounds of Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, now, the lighthearted article speculated that the creature might be a turtle or some mutant experiment from the Plum Island Animal Disease Center. It is noted that Larry Penny, the East Hampton National Resources Director, has concluded it was a raccoon with its upper jaw missing. There are rumors that the carcass had been taken away from the site. And a local newspaper quoted an anonymous resident who claimed that the animal was only the size of a cat and that it had, a decompose, um, it had decomposed to a skeleton by the time of press coverage. Now, when you see the picture... It definitely looks like water has gotten to it. Uh, I mean, it was in, you know, uh, definitely in the water for a while. Uh, if it had any fur, it's gone. If it didn't have any fur, also gross. Um, but it's it's quite something. So that's why people don't really know what it is. Um, now, there's good argument for it being a raccoon. I've seen jaw structure of a raccoon compared to it. Um, Skeptic-wise, that would be the closest thing I would say it is. Um, in the pictures, it looks a little bigger than a raccoon to me, but that could just be the perspective of the picture. Uh, I definitely didn't see it in person. Um, so, but, yeah, I mean, honestly, though, conspiracy-wise, I could totally see it being an experiment gone wrong on Plum Island, especially because they have an animal disease control center. I mean, come on, let's be real about this. Um, definitely a logical, <laughs> I, I think that's a pretty logical explanation. Um, now, uh, there's been a lot of, you know, controversy over what to do with it, where it went, who took it, uh, what happened to it, why it was there. Um, the people that found it were even on Plum TV, a local, like, public access TV show to talk about it. Um, and... A cryptozoologist, uh, Lauren Coleman, at Cryptomundo, first coined the name Montauk Monster on July 29th, 2008. The nickname is uh, disseminated globally was disseminated globally on the internet in the following days. Photographs were widely circulated via email and web blogs, and the national media picked up on it. It's raising speculation about the creature. The potential urban legend stature of the Montauk Monster was noted by Snopes. Uh, the monster has been discussed in Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura 
On August 4, 2011, the Montauk Monster was featured on the second episode of the third season of Ancient Aliens, titled Aliens and Monsters. That's pretty cool. We made it to Ancient Aliens, Long Island. Whoop, whoop. Uh, now, some other theories uh, as to what it could be. So, the director of Stony Brook University's Living Marine Sources Resources Institute uh, inspected the photo, and they deemed the creature a fake. Although, Wise's next best, next best guess was that the creature could be a diseased dog or coyote, which had been in the sea for a while, quote-unquote. Wise discounted the follow, following general possibilities. So, this guy isn't too keen on a lot of the theories, but these are some of the theories. A raccoon? But the legs appear to be too long in proportion to the body. A sea turtle. Sea turtles do not have furrow teeth. So, going to have to agree with him on that one. A rodent. Rodents have two large distinctive incisor teeth in the front of their mouths. And this one, it looks more beakish. A dog or other canine, such as a coyote. Uh, the corpse is dog light, but the eye ridge and feet do not match. Sheep or other ovine. Although the face looks somewhat ovine, sheep do not have sharp teeth. Paleozoologist Darren Nash studied the photograph and concluded from the corpse's visible uh, dentition, skull shape, and front paws that the creature was a raccoon, with its odd appearance merely a byproduct of decomposition and water action, removing most of the animal's hair and some of its flesh. Nash agreed that the idea that the legs were disproportionately uh, long for a raccoon providing an illustration of a raccoon's body superimposed over the corpse of a photograph of the photograph. Jeff Cor- Corwin also identified the carcass as that of a raccoon in the Fox News interview. Now, I didn't know Jeff Corwin even weighed in on it, so there's your, uh, you know, official uh, thing on that. But in 2009, an episode of Monster Quest, the cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman examined a latex replica of the Montauk's monster's remains, and similarly concluded that it was the remains of a raccoon due to a smaller, uh, similar body structure and skull shape. So, uh, we'll leave that one up to you. I will post pictures, and I want you guys to vote on it. Let me know what you think. Do you think it's a raccoon? Do you think it's a weird government experiment gone wrong? Um, either way, really cool to have a cryptid on Long Island. <laughs> So, Andrea, what's your next story for us? So, the next one is also rooted in Polish Slavic folklore. Uh, This one in particular is one of my favorites. Uh, I've always loved this folk legend because it has so many different spin-offs and adaptations and has been referenced a lot in popular culture. We are talking, of course, none other than the Baba Yaga. The Baba Yaga... Uh, well, first we'll start with the etymology of the word. Uh, for those of you of Eastern European descent, uh, babushka obviously means grandmother you know, or old woman, the old woman. So uh, it stands to uh, say that Baba Yaga roughly translates to, you know, crazy old woman in the forest of some sort. Is uh, that the exact definition? Uh, I'm <laughs> paraphrasing a little bit. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I'm not too familiar with the origins of the uh, of the Russian language and the Eastern European language, though it fascinates me so. Um, the Baba Yaga was usually depicted in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different stories. Um, most notably, uh, depiction-wise... The Baba Yaga is known to be uh, an old woman uh, with 
different growths and spores on of so of all sorts on her face. Um, she's usually depicted as kind of imposing, and the most bizarre thing that always stood out uh, is that she has a house in the forest that has that is essentially perched on chicken feet, giant chicken feet. Oh yeah, and she can use the house to chase you. And, uh, you know, come after you. Um, you know, truth be told, I would love to see that simply for the for the science of it all. Just <laughs> yeah, to see. how you get a chicken-footed house to run after you. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, notable uh, symbolism that surrounds uh, chicken feet in general. Uh, chicken feet um, are used to promote... Uh, fertility, they can be used to promote different types of spiritual protection. Um, mm. People making actually necklaces out of them is actually uh, more of a an old school common thing than one would think. Um, uh, sometimes uh, Baba Yaga is not depicted as one woman. Sometimes she is depicted as three sisters that are bound as one. A reference to the triple goddess as sort of energy, so to speak. I I've always surmised. Um, the Baba Yaga uh, is known to have super strength, uh, super speed, uh, to appear at a moment's notice. She'll do anything to lure you in. Uh, typical old school style um, witch lore, stirring the cauldron, eats babies uh, yes. and other people, etc., etc. Um some uh, the thing that interested me was that sometimes is that their evil warped them so much that in a lot of the old depictions in the legends and folklore um that men all recited was that that all of the orifices were the most disgusting parts of these women ew what so, so yeah so uh, you'd see like a naked lady so you'd see like mushrooms and greenery oh. growing out of a mouth a nose eyeballs a vagina Oh, God. So that that was always uh, kind of hilarious to me. That's rude. <laughs> that is hilarious. I mean, it's hilarious, but gross. Blah. The the best ways I could I could think of it were definitely... Again, I keep referencing The Witcher because it was such a good piece <laughs> they, of modern art. Honestly, though, they cover so many legends and so many different, like, cryptid, animal, different things. It's a really good resource if you just want to learn about different types of mythology, honestly. Spin-offs. Yeah. Uh, the Baba Yaga was most likely referenced in the Crones of Crookback Bog. Ah, yes. Uh, which are dangerous enemies. They are they are relics to, with the T again um, that exists in this place called Velen. And uh, there were three of them. There was the younger sister, the middle sister, and the older sister. Uh, the oldest sister wore a necklace of ears and used primeval magic to listen to the forest. That was her offering if... Uh, they did you a favor, you had to cut off your ear and present it on a stone, and they would come and take it, and they would use that ear to actually listen in uh, through the forest, listen to other people's thoughts. They would collect tapestries. Oh, what? Collect tapestries. They would collect hair and weave tapestries out of that hair. Um, and the middle sister would often uh, make the food. She was depicted as the fat one, the most deformed one. Um, the other one uh, would whisper things in the ear. And the, uh, the youngest sister would, again, weave the tapestries. Uh, she also had a, a beehive uh, for a left eyeball, which was uh, hilarious to me. She moved uh, like a bird-like woman, which that is directly taken a lot from uh, Baba Yaga's. Is that, yeah, when they're older, they're depicted as very... Um, you know, 
uh, crow-looking women. You know, how birds react. They uh, they twist and turn their head really fast. Mm. You know, the word crone and the word crow always kind of rang this in the same part mm. of my brain when I was growing up, but before I had to tell the difference. Um, yeah, so a lot of interesting things. And the, and the thing of it all is, is that that uh, prime evil magic is actually not just rooted in folklore. There are... Uh, people well that can attest that primeval magic like that can work it's just why well, go to the trouble to make a necklace of human ears <laughs> yeah I, mean, I feel like that's more trouble than it's worth uh, I, I suppose in this day and age I, I feel like if you went back into like the boonie forests of of eastern <gasps> europe maybe you could that's definitely what get ed gein was really trying to do he was just trying to recreate <laughs> <laughs> oh my god hmm. uh but um, and the same thing even with uh, the idea of tapestries. If you were to weave your hairs uh, together with another person, I mean, that could be an amazing thing to do for a uh, hand-fasting ceremony. Um, I think that takes for, a lot of patience. Oh, you definitely need to collect a lot of hair, and then you have to get a, a loom or a yeah, type but to, of spool. Yeah, to weave such fine thing as hair. Ugh. Well, I mean, if you have giant clumps of it, it shouldn't... It again, mm-hmm. nothing you know. Nothing good came without a little elbow grease. Well, true. It just takes a while. Yes, uh, the Baba Yagas are also usually uh, depicted and associated with um, certain string instruments that existed. You know, the that out of tune violin sort of sound, which actually isn't an out of tune violin at all. Uh, there are many different names of other string instruments. Uh, the names, of course, are, are escaping me. I want to say one of them is called a gussel. Mm. Yeah. Um, the Baba Yaga is also very similar to the Leshy in the sense that she is bound to a particular forest and she can be served in a particular way. Some people say that they are actual uh, beasts that... Uh, simply exists and can be destroyed. Others say that they are a corporeal entity that can um, pass through worlds whenever she wishes to, or they wish to. Um, uh, the one thing that I always liked uh, about the Baba Yaga is that you get a lot of the folk legends, a lot of that Eastern European folk legend mixed with Western European folk legends, and that's where you get a lot of the ideas of the modern witch that you see today in uh, Hollywood depiction. Nice. That's a really cool story. Um, Baba Yaga's always been interesting to me, and uh, I always wanted to look into her more, so I definitely think that's cool. Uh, so the next story that I'm going to do, uh, we're traveling upstate New York for this one. Uh, it's actually decently close to where my grandparents live. Um, and something I feel like that maybe gets forgotten about by people about where exactly it is. Um, so the next spooky one is the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Now, Sleepy Hollow, like I said, is in upstate New York. Um, I believe it's only about maybe three hours from me. I think it's really close to my grandparents. Um, so the Legend of Sleepy Hollow is a gothic story by the American author Washington Irving. Contained in his collection of 34 essays and short stories entitled The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon, Gent. 
Written while Irving was living abroad in Birmingham, England, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was first published in 1820. Along with Irving's companion piece, Rip Van Winkle, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is among the earliest examples of American fiction with enduring popularity, especially during Halloween, because of a character known as the Headless Horseman, believed to be a Hessian soldier who lost his head to a cannonball in battle. Now, I love this story. There's been so many movies and books and adaptations on it. The one with Johnny Depp is pretty awesome. And we were talking about Johnny Depp earlier today and all the wonderful things he's done in movies because they're thinking of getting rid of him in Pirates of the Caribbean. So that's a whole nother thing for me. But anyway, just pointing out one of the great things he's done. Um, Sleepy Hollow, I've gone there. I unfortunately didn't get to go through the museums and such, um, but I did get to go to the graveyard that is there and where Washington Irving is buried. It was really cool to see uh, the place he's laid to rest, to absorb the energy of that graveyard, the church and everything that's there. It's very peaceful. It's a very nice place. Um, and I hope to go back soon in order to go to the actual museum and everything like that and kind of walk around the grounds. Um, now I think most people kind of know, uh, about Sleepy Hollow, uh, and the story a little bit. Um, but just briefly, it's set in 1790 in the countryside around the Dutch settlement of Terrytown. So Terrytown, New York is where it is. Um, in a glen, a secluded glen called Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow is renowned for its ghosts and the haunting atmosphere that pervades the imaginations of its inhabitants and visitors. Some residents say this town was bewitched during the early days of the Dutch settlement. Other residents say an old Native American chief, the wizard of his tribe, held his powwows here before the country was discovered by Master Hendrik Hudson. The most infamous specter in the hollow is the Headless Horseman, said to be the ghost of a Hessian trooper that had his head shot off by a stray cannonball during some nameless battle of the American Revolutionary War, and who rides forth to the scene of battle in nightly quest of his head. The legend relates the tale of Ichabod Crane, a lean, lanky, and extremely superstitious schoolmaster from Connecticut, who compares the Abram Brom Bones Van Brunt, the town rowdy, for the hand of 18-year-old Karina Van Tassel, the daughter and sole child of a wealthy farmer. Now, through the entire story, you follow Ichabod Crane and his adventures, if you want to call him that, with the Headless Horseman. Um, now... This story definitely is really spooky and one of the classics. I love reading it. I love watching the movies. It's definitely a perfect Halloween time movie. And I thought it was uh, a fun little story to bring up because it is local to New York. So uh, we oddly have a lot of different um, spooky stories and cryptids that are associated with here. Uh, so yeah, but that's the end of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Andreas, do you have any other stories you'd like to include? Fair enough. Well, I'm going to dive into everybody's favorite Irish scary story character. We are talking about the Banshee. Oh, I love Banshees. That's a weird thing to say, but Banshees are awesome. Banshees are usually depicted as malevolent spirits that usually foretell grave danger, death, or, well, a combination, I suppose. Death is grave danger. You get the idea, friends. (laughs) Um, essentially, she's depicted as a cloaked, gaunt, white, ghostly old woman that is usually crying, wailing. In fact, the word banshee actually translates to something of the nature of to wail or to scream, to shout, to shriek. 
Banshees are usually uh, found in places uh, like swamps and uh, dead wooded areas, you know, much like uh, the rest of our friends in these stories. <laughs> Uh, usually you can tell if a banshee is coming when an unnatural fog makes its appearance. Usually you can tell if an unnatural fog makes its appearance if it's not humid and all of a sudden it gets really humid in one particular area and there's a lot of fog and there wasn't any any call for fog, especially in this day and age. You might be dealing with some sort of entity that's causing something a bit unnatural. Now usually only one banshee appears, but if many appear, that usually foretells the death of of somebody very important. Oh, God, there's more than one that can appear at once? There can be many that oh, can appear at once. Oh, I wouldn't even want to meet one. If you definitely come across a bunch of them, you're probably going to die. Oops. You're probably not going to live to tell the tale. It's not so going to be good. Well, I mean, I guess somebody survived. Otherwise, someone yeah, would have been able to tell that story. I but. always wonder what ghost stories are. I was like, you're going to die. And you're like, but we know the story. So, <laughs> like, how do we know? It's like, how do you know about the things you weren't there for? <laughs> Um, banshees are, uh, again, from Irish mythology, usually, um, oh, wow, I am sorry, I am just zoning out for a hot second, <laughs> wow, um, usually, uh, she, when she's wailing or she's crying, usually, uh, what usually happens? Usually what usually happens. Wow. wow. Uh, we, are, we are both speaking wonderfully today, aren't we, Courtney? That's okay. It's, it's been a long week, and uh, we were just at a spooky walk, so maybe we're a little bit... Speak for yourself. Uh, again, usually what happens with a banshee is that you hear faint weeping. Faint weeping. And it'll grow stronger. And the closer you get, sometimes you might actually hear singing. Perhaps a forlorn tune being sung. The closer you get, the foggier it will get, and then she'll reveal you, her face to you, which usually tends to deform and uh, usually drives a person insane. Usually when they're driven insane, their, their death is usually caused by their own uh, fears and natural human reactions. But if the banshee uh, gets her hands on you, it can be much worse. Some say that Older women can be turned into banshees, much like white ladies, uh, if they die in a particular situation. The particular situation that makes a banshee is a woman who loses her child or children. Uh, that can usually transform that sort of energy into something that is bound to an area that cannot be released. Um, but uh, the banshee is definitely one of my favorites. Uh, there are many modern references that you can dive into, both movie-wise and book-wise, to reference this uh, colorful character and spirit that you would not want to come across in any time in your life. Yeah, so um, I will just cover one more cryptid. Uh, this one I think some people have heard of, uh, Champ. Champ is the long-lost cousin of the Loch Ness Monster, Nessie. Uh, we have Lake Champlain in upstate New York. Um, more of the, one of the, sorry. Oh my God. Yeah, we can't talk today. Ugh. One of the more popular cryptids in upstate New York. Um, he lives in Lake Champlain and shares a lot of the same characteristics of Nessie. Cities and towns in the region celebrate Champ at festivals and have integrated him into tourist campaigns. But some true believers have attempted to use scientific equipment to verify the many sightings of Champ. So there's footprints or fin prints or whatever he has. Um, 
But it's really cool that we have our very own lake monster. Um, because, I don't know, I guess, you know, what area would be complete without their very own lake monster. Especially because we do have all the lakes up there. Um, and we also have our own Bigfoot sightings. That's another cryptid that we are lucky to have. Now, Bigfoot or Sasquatch is all over the U.S. Uh, the, you know, everyone knows him. The monkey-like looking man. Always kind of keeping to himself. Very elusive. Uh, there's even been rumors that there's female Sasquatches. Sasquai. I don't know what the plural Sasquatch is. Um, but... A really fun fact is there's a local ordinance in Whitehall, New York, that has protections on on Bigfoot. Uh, and there's two regional festivals that celebrate his existence. An Adirondack Jack claims he routinely finds Bigfoot tracks and devotes much of his time to investigating the creature. So we have people that believe in Bigfoot here, and I know he's a really famous cryptid, so it's really cool that we have sightings in our very own state. Uh, but yeah. I think that's going to be it for our spooky... Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, my gosh. All right, never mind. Andreal has one more that he would like to talk about. Ah, yes. So, for those of you who have known me, I read a lot of books. I read a lot of books. And uh, a couple of my favorite books are The Greaters and Lesser Keys of Solomon. In The Lesser Key of Solomon, it talks about demonology, uh, particularly Judeo-Christian demonology, um, in the lesser key, it, it tells you about their pentacles and how you can summon them and what to expect from them. Some of them are pretty neutral. Some of them are incredibly chaotic evil. And some of them are actually good. Um, recall that the word demon comes from the Latin daemon. And the Latin daemon comes from the Greek daemon, which essentially just means godlike force. Godlike force, um, once the world Christianized a bit, People thought, well, if it's not of Yahweh, it must be the devil, so it must be evil. Now, I won't talk about the uh, the one we all know and love, which is Lucifer. Uh, I feel like he deserves his entirely own episode that's yeah. outside of the whole uh, Halloween and Samhain sort of uh, time of year. Yeah, all the stories and mythos behind him would be interesting to talk about. But yes, I am going to... Look up this particular entity, which has transcended Judaism and Christianity, made its way into pagan, uh, to pagan backgrounds of all sorts, and believe it or not, Scientology. We are talking about none other than the demon Moloch, or Molech, Milcom, Malcom, you know, a bunch of different names. He is known as a god or demon which is associated with child sacrifice. Oh. Yes. Uh, he is known as a particular king of hell, a great king. Um, usually is depicted as a bronze statue heated with fire to which victims are thrown into. Oh. <laughs> well, then. Um, he is usually depicted as a, 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 basically a man's like body, um, with a cow or a steer-like head. Um, which I suppose, I mean, I guess that adds something to do with the idea that cows are usually, like, the typical thing that you think that people would slaughter back in the day. Oh, also, that's, like, the, um, the Sicilian bull that they used to, like, kind of 
keep people alive in there. Oh, yes, that was interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we got to talk about torture devices. and Oh, uh, yeah. Surprised we haven't done that one yet. Right. But how weird that they're like both like a, a cow or a steer that you throw people in. I wonder what that's about. I will uh, read a couple of uh, passages that actually reference this demon. Now, uh, most of the passages uh, from the uh, Old Testament are from Leviticus. Um, I will uh, give you all of them. I'm just going to read one of them because I'll I'll be here for a little while if I reference all of them. But Leviticus uh, uh, 18.21, Leviticus 22, um, Leviticus 23, Leviticus 24, Leviticus 25. In case you didn't put together, that little space was to, you know, separate the paragraph with the line, friends. But uh, this one's pretty much straight out of it. And thou shalt not let any of thy seeds pass through the fire of Molech, neither shalt thou profane thy name of thy God, I am the Lord. Um, literally, that's a direct reference that, you know, if your children died, it goes straight to this entity that seems to like to eat children's souls. Um, you can't get any more diabolical than that particular yeah, idea. Really. He is also referenced in Isaiah, uh, paragraph 30, line 33. And um, many other different texts in Ars Goetia. Uh, the Encyclopedia of Demons is also um, pretty interesting. Can tell you more about this particular entity. Um, oh, it looks like Saturn. Yes. Uh, child sacrifice is often related to Saturn and Kronos. Um, usually that depiction of him eating babies is usually uh, what I always interpreted as, as we've referenced in our previous episode talking about <laughs> the Roman deities is a reference to Father Time. Time uh, eats, you know, eats youth. Time destroys youth. Um, mm-hmm. But child sacrifice can nonetheless be uh, reference to this particular entity. Um, some people think that Kronos and Saturn are actually are actually this exact demon. Um, but I, uh, from That's what it interesting is, thing, from, from what it is, I sense they are completely different. Yeah, I would think so. Well, cause I mean, I've also had good experiences with Saturn, so. Yeah, I also think that maybe like things with Saturn and Kronos is like, I mean, I'm sure there is an element of sacrifice, but it seems as though... That's, that's different. It's more metaphorical to me, where I think the... The metaphor for Malik and, you know, Christian beliefs, Jewish beliefs seems to be a little more diabolical in nature that the the babies that aren't baptized or maybe like, you know, babies of parents that don't believe in God or whatever. It just seems more of a way to scare people into like being good parents or, you know, to not do anything bad to children versus like Saturn and Kronos. It just seems to be a thing that they do. And that's not like a main part of who they are. Well, some people depict said that all the particular pagan deities uh, were uh, just demons. Um, but well, I mean, I, if you're going to look at it from a certain way and want to demonize paganism, then yeah. Don't vilify anything, yes, and you'll say anything to spew a particular rhetoric. Now, I will reference this demon. Uh, I will jump into the entire uh, Lesser Key of Solomon in a different episode. But we hope at the very Ooh, least be we give you a little folklore, a little background, things to look up. Look up things related to these entities, folks. We wanted to give you a very brief understanding of all of them. 
you know, jump into them. Some fan favorites, some not so well known. So we hope you've enjoyed this particular episode. Yes. Uh, and again, thank you guys so much uh, for listening to us, for supporting us. Um, thank you to Jose and Donna and Carrie from A Paranormal Chicks for just joining Patreon. We are officially on Patreon. So everyone that's been waiting eagerly, you can go ahead and sign up. We have different tiers, and all of them are wonderful. You get different perks for all of them. Uh, Social media content. I just started a Snapchat group, and we have a group on Instagram, so we can do different things with that, little like live video chats. We do Facebook Lives. There's a special Spellcast Coven group. Um, That's kind of become the name of our Patreoners and Anchor listener support is our Spellcast Coven so please, uh, at least, uh, you know, go by Patreon, check us out. If you can't support that way, um, you know, sharing us, telling your friends about us, uh, giving us a review, rating us on iTunes, um, Spotify, anywhere that you listen, that also goes a long, long way and is very much appreciated. I mean, honestly, to see that our episodes have over 100 listens each is just amazing. I didn't know that many people were going to want to listen to us. And um, it just makes me so happy that we have over 3,000 downloads. So thank you so much for everyone, uh, to everyone that's listened, that supports us and everything. Um, Definitely check us out on Instagram at Witchy Page. Um, You can check us out on Facebook, Spellcast Podcast page, and also the Spellcast Podcast group. Now that's private, but the Spellcast Podcast Facebook group, anyone can join. So you are more than welcome to request, answer the simple questions, which is basically just, you know, are, do you listen to our podcast? Do you agree to be respectful? And it's pretty much it. It's easy to join. Um, and the Spellcast Coven one, I would invite you to once you become a patron. So if anyone wants to support us that way, that'd be great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And uh, shout out to all the patrons, honestly. Um, uh, We love hanging out with you guys, talking to you. It's been great. And uh, this Halloween season, we have really fun extra stuff coming up. I mean, Halloween, the patrons are going to get an extra episode. Um, I try to do as many, like I said, live Snapchats as possible, kind of get you guys in on our daily life, especially Sewin's going to be great. Uh, You know, get a little inside look at what we do. We will reference that all uh, for the next episode. We will talk about what we're doing for Sewin, what Sewin is all about. And the other holidays that um, uh, come literally right after them. We're talking, of course, about uh, All Saints Day, All Souls Day, uh, Dia de los Muertos, um, even the Haitian Fetagede. So stay tuned for that one. Yes. So that's going to be the episode after this. Um, And like I said, now you get two episodes for this week. So that's awesome. Uh, And thank you, guys. This is a great episode. I love doing this. And... Uh, We will be seeing you soon. So remember, there's a little witch in all of us. And the spirits this time of year, more than ever, live in the mirror, friends. (laughs) 